It's lights out, and away we go. Welcome to an American's Guide to Formula One. Now let's start the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of An American's Guide to Formula One. I'm Andy Lewis, joined via the phone as per usual. It's Papa Tisas, a.k.a. Tim Lewis. Hey, Dad, welcome. Hey. Hey, glad to be around, man. Yeah, sorry for the delay to you and the fans, but I unfortunately, after two and a half long years of dodging the dreaded vid, the covid both me and the missus succumb. Um, we made it a long run, but um, I definitely caught it, and it's been kicking my butt a little bit. So that's why we're going to do a double episode here uh, for both the U.S. Grand Prix, which was quite a show, and the Mexico Grand Prix, which was had the makings of being quite a show, but kind of let us down. And then, as per usual, some news from the F1 world. We finally have the verdict of the Red Bull overspend um, and their fines. So stay tuned for that, as well as the moment with Martin. So let's start it off, Dad. We're just going to kind of go through the the lineup here from the U.S. Grand Prix, which we actually got to watch together. You were down uh, my way over on the other side of the Yeah. Day, and we got to watch it together. And boy, was that a great race to watch together. That was fun. Super, I enjoyed it. Super duper fun. And we had some great burritos from Monaco's, which is my new favorite Mexican sport in uh, Colorado Springs. So if you live in Colorado Springs, go to Monaco's. <laughs> yeah, isn't there isn't there more than one? Yeah, I don't know. Katie won't tell me. My sister won't tell me which where the good one is. She just went and got it. She's hiding it from me to keep me from to keep me going down and that little stinker. That's a stinker. So let's jump right in. We're going to go from top to bottom. Um, how did Max win? And what happened on that opening lap that ensured that it was going to be Max that won? He drove really fast. Oh, my God. What great commentary. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. You don't remember a, a certain George Russell spinning a certain Carlos Sainz at turn one? We no. Have, oh my gosh! What great! What what would you do about me, to you, Daddy? You know, I was so excited. I to thought we I thought get pole, seeing as how he was at that time was sitting on my grid rivals team, and <laughs> then. Then the, the luck of Ferrari or skill of Ferrari or whatever you want to say bit their ass again, and old Georgie Russell just went spinning Mr. Science round and round. And then you called it right off the bat that you think you're like, oh, oh. got that radiator puncture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now it's coming back to me. It's all coming it's back to me. Back to me, baby. It's uh, like, not only am I old, but I still, I think I've got long COVID syndrome, baby. Okay. And my brains are whack. Well, let's do our best okay, to talk about Okay, it's come. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about me. No, it's, what about me, Andy? No. So, so Ferrari um, actually 
double locked out P1 and P2 in qualifying, but Leclerc was relegated back with some grid spot penalties for changing some components. But Sainz wasn't and got his his pole, his well-deserved pole that I think he's, like, way behind Leclerc on. Um, but finally, you know, that's one good thing about – one thing about Sainz is he does seem to not – really not give up throughout the season and keeps pushing um, throughout the season. And, and and through sheer might and muscle and willpower, I think he gets himself, drags himself to the level of a, of a Leclerc, uh, a Max. But he doesn't, I don't think he's the same. I think he has to work a lot harder at it than, than, than there is actual like just inherent ability not to say that he's not one of the best drivers on the grid i think he is i actually think this is a is a point in his column because you know you can you look at ocon you look at um let's see mick schumacher you look at danny rick obviously that you know they're even when they're clearly up against somebody who has an inherent more ability or better understanding of the car or the situation that they're at, um, they kind of fall backwards from there or allow that to kind of get into their head. And definitely you would say that science has been on the back foot to Leclerc the whole season, but science has continued to develop himself, continued to work harder to get his head around that car, which I guess is pretty twitchy. Um, and has and is now accelerating. It's just unfortunate that luck has been has played such a part in Science's season. Well, now isn't Science also noted for being kind to his tires? Yeah, but what or is, am I? That, am, how does that play out in a one lap shootout for qualifying? Well, no, I mean race day, race strategy. Yeah, well, it doesn't. So, that doesn't no good either. Uh, when <laughs> you you get spun out on lap one, turn one. Well, you were just talking about how you thought signs may not have inherent ability, but maybe he's just good at taking care of his stuff. Yeah, I think, and trying to find the trying to find the right balance of pushing. And and conserving, um, that's that was my point. That so he may have all of that ability. He just can control it. Uh, now he just has to find the right balance to win it. I think it's just getting on top of that sooner, because the the unfortunate part of that is that. The early part of the season, the what Ferrari was by far the dominant car, and Red Bull has drug, you know, they have had definitely the second fastest car, and and now by far and away the fastest car. But I think you look at pole positions, Leclerc is way way has way more. I think it's something like nine or ten, um, but Max has fourteen wins, you know, and it's it, one Ferrari has to work on their strategy, but also has to work on their race pace and development over a season. I don't think they're up to the level of Mercedes or Red Bull. Um, 
And I think Leclerc does need to work on his his entire weekend. He is, I think, by far and away, the fastest driver over a single lap of anybody on that grid. Um, but that does you no good. Like you could like look at where it gets you. It gets you a bunch of poles and a few wins. But it, but most of Max's wins have actually this season have actually come from not getting a pole, which I think is far more difficult to do. Um, but moving on, I guess, unless you had something to say about Leclerc, well, we can talk more about him no. when we get to P3, but no, we can, let's, yeah, we can move on. Max Verstappen. I think a lot of people want us, you know, and I know you and I were at, I mean, at least me at some points were standing on our feet, willing Hamilton to get that first win of the season and and continue that record of of always getting at least one win in every season that he's entered in the sport but i don't i don't think it was there <laughs> i don't um and and i think i watched an after the race interview with hamilton where he was he was probed about that and how close it felt and if he thinks by the end of the season that there will be another chance for him to win a race this season and we can get more about this because they they did think that it was going to be Mexico um but he was very quick to say look the position that we were put in today was a lot of extenuating circumstances that even allowed me to be running in second or first for some of that race a Leclerc's penalty B, science is spin. So both the Ferraris are really out of the running for the front, even though Leclerc ended up finishing P3. And the fact that Max and Red Bull blew that pit stop, they had an, an 11 or 12 second pit stop, and they mm-hmm. still came back from that. So um, Verstappen had to pass um, Leclerc and Hamilton and did it, and then finished five seconds ahead of the Merc. If that isn't a clear statement of just how much of a dominating car that Red Bull is right now, then I don't know what is. Because that was literally the best-case scenario that, that Mercedes and Hamilton could have had for the win, and they still were unable to do it. Right. Yeah, that was, um, I don't know. I think everybody thought that that was really going to happen. I did. I was, um, I was willing it on until I saw that we had seven laps to go and that the time was just dropping and dropping. And and then once once Max got within DRS, like it was over. There's nothing, it, it reminded me of the previous seasons where it would be the flip where it was Lewis coming back at Max. And I was just like, there's no chance. There's no way he's going to stop him. Like, you can't. I don't care how wide you want to make your car. There is just no way that you can stop. A, I think when with, with DRS, it was 40 kph advantage on the straight. That much? Okay. I mean, like, it looked it looked fast. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, the superior equipment coupled with a good driver, you know, it, I mean, there's just no chance. 
And then the, the unfortunate thing is, is that when Lewis was put in the, the same position to try and catch up having DRS, Max pulled away and he didn't have DRS and he certainly didn't have the performance on its own, despite, uh, you know, getting in the slipstream. It just wasn't there. Yeah. I think by that time too, his tires were just, were just gone. I mean, it was so close to the end. It was, you know, what last five or six laps of the race, but um, he was still able to eke out that, or not eke out, but pull that five second um, gap to him. I still think it was an exceptional drive by Hamilton. And I think the progress that it's showing for Mercedes um, is, is outstanding. Like the fact that we're even starting to talk about that Mercedes could actually jump Ferrari and the constructors run. Like who would have thought that Mm -hmm. six months ago? Yeah, it was looking grim, wasn't it? For uh, Mercedes back then. Um, I think if, if but, not uh, for Russell, and we, we can get to Russell here in a second, but, I mean, Russell being Mr. Consistency, and I think Hamilton being um, Mr. Determined, um, that I think Hamilton's played the role super well and I don't think is getting enough credit um, of being a real leader in that team. And the real determination that Mercedes has shown this season to like claw their way back at any means necessary. And I think there was a quote recently from Toto that says, The age of our dominance is not over. <laughs> this is just a brief yeah. pause. And I think I I'm see, I'm I'm starting to really actually see that. Um and, Well, and we were kinda of hoping for that given the how it played out last year. Um I mean, I was really hopeful that Mercedes and Lewis would come back with a vengeance, and it just wasn't wasn't there this year. And so, but there's that's why you race year after year. Yeah, I I also think you know that he recently just said that he's good for another five years. So I and I think my thought on that is is. He definitely wants the eight. We've all known that for a long time, and he's going to want that eighth world title. He won't walk away without that. But I think also seeing the dominance that Max is ushering in again with breaking the 14 win. Well, we'll get to that with Mexico, but his. Yeah, that'll come up next race. Yeah. Uh, um, and looking at how young Max is, I think he wants to try and build. Um, some of that, I think he really is wanting to build up his legacy to try and outlast and, and, and protect against the, the definite unstoppable Max Verstappen at this moment. Um, and he, I mean, maybe he's seeing how great Fernando's doing as well and saying, well, then why shouldn't I, you know, why shouldn't I continue into my forties? Um, yeah, it's been very inspiring to see how well Fernando's doing and um, excited about the Alpine product. And then what does he know about McLaren? You mean that Aston car, that, uh, I mean, Aston Martin, that, um, uh, that we don't know of, uh, so I don't know. It's well, just, uh, and Aston Martin, we, we can, we can talk more about this when we get down to Vettel and, um, but they did have, that looked like a different car this week. 
both, uh, well, not they didn't both make it into Q3, but uh, Vettel just missed out on Q3 um, mm-hmm. and then had a one hell of a race after it. But let's save that. Let's talk about Charles Leclerc, who also had one hell of a race, and I think... I think their their development of the Ferrari has just kind of stalled. I don't think they have anything left um, for the rest of the season. But I hope that they can really get re-energized because they should they should have been way closer in the fight for this season. Um, but just too many errors, too many from both drivers and um, team. And then just reliability as well. Yeah, yeah. They, that that strategy stuff that went on is really. It just. I guess you don't expect it, but maybe it's why. Why did that happen? And then it kept hap- happening, and um, then the reliability compounded that. And uh, are they looking to next year now already? Uh, yeah, it's I, a tough, tough thing to figure out. I thought I thought Leclerc had a really awesome race. Um, there was some really awesome battles and and moves that um, really were worth highlighting. And and then oh, to credit where credits due, when Max blew the pit stop, Ferrari didn't, and they that that would brought them out ahead of Max and gave us some of the best battles of the of the day, which. We also should have talked about this at the very top of just what an event uh, the U.S. Grand Prix. And I'm so happy that Austin is the official United States Grand Prix because that is a much better representation of what I think a U.S. Grand Prix is or should be than both uh, Miami. And we'll see what Vegas has to come. I think both of those, I think Vegas will be a spectacle, but. It was also just so awesome to hear how much all of the drivers really, really love the track and how much the commentators love the track and and just to see the growth of the event from year to year because you and I have watched it every year it's it's been. And yeah. I'm a sh- I'm so bummed that we've still never gone to one. And we, we could have yeah. gone back in the day when it was, you know, had the pick of our spots and now it's like they, they, I think they broke the record again. It's like over 400,000 yeah. people in weekly attendance. It was, it was huge. That's, that's massive. I, it was that like the most for any formula one. I think this year. Race. Yeah. I think, okay. I yeah. think Mexico beats it every year though. Oh, okay. I mean, because I mean, I can have, understand that. Well, they have that grandstand. That's seventy thousand alone, just in that that grandstand. Oh, in the state in the stadium yeah. section. Yeah, yeah. And well, and then just the heritage. That that was a soccer stadium, wasn't it? That they. Yeah, I think no, or baseball. I want to say it was a baseball stadium. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So it's the way they incorporate that kind of thing uh, into. The, the whole package that's cool very cool yeah we can talk more about that when we get to Mexico. but but you know the atmosphere at um i think the for whatever reason the the excitement the atmosphere the texasness of it i guess yeah it just really adds a lot to um 
you know, really showing a, a really uh, kind of representative American uh, type of thing. I think you know, nothing's I, bigger than Texas. Well, and, and I think it's also all of that a big a big highlight that it's Austin versus any other U or Texas town, because. Um, I, I don't consider Austin to be a part of Texas. It holds a different place in my head. But, I mean, and it's experienced yeah. such a boom over the last, you know, decade as well. But that was also something that a lot of people spoke to was the city of Austin really embracing the sport and the sport being there. Um, and, yeah. And not, not you know, poo-pooing it, which I think could have could have easily happened in Texas as well. You know, some European sport. Um, but I think it being Austin and, but I, you know, they just, they just really lean into it and all the drivers, Lewis, I saw an interview with Lewis, um, where he said he could move there. He likes the city so much. Um, oh, wow. um, but, and I know Danny Rick really loves it. I mean, a lot of drivers, I, I follow Botas on Instagram and he was going out to different bars and restaurants and, you know, I mean, the, I haven't been to Austin in, in a really long time. But I, I really liked it. I have friends who have moved there and, and lived there, and, and they really like it. Um, the only thing I could never get used to is the, the dang heat. Um, but um, really cool town. Yeah, the humidity. I, I, well, it is a, it, yeah, it is, it, is, it is a unique place for sure. And uh, it's a, I don't know, is it people are just, they just have passion there. And when they find something they like, they really have passion for it. I mean, you know, the the music scene is is really a deal, and um, and so maybe there's a passion that's developed uh, for the Formula One circuit being there. It's a fantastic circuit. It's it's well thought out and laid out, and the town uh, embraces the the whole thing uh, kind of like you would. Austin just kind of does that, I guess. Uh, and, and so in some ways you're not surprised, but in some ways you're saying in Texas. Yeah. And let's get back. <laughs> let's get back to that actual racing and the design that we were so happy about, because what I think it does, one of the reasons it is so cool is that it, it incorporates a lot of really different dynamical driving, but and and so it's it's a thrilling racetrack to go around, both in qualifying because of how many different kind of how distinctly different the diff, the circuits are or the sectors are of that. You have really long fast straights, you have really high speed uh, sweeping stuff in that first sector, and then you have really complicated tight turns in the the last sector, but. But I think it's also, you know, you heard a lot of the drivers talking about it being a very old school racetrack in the sense that there's a there's room. There's a lot of room for good battles. And I think that was really highlighted this race with, you know, you had the battles between Hamilton and Max, Max and Leclerc, Russell. You had, you know, uh, Norris pulling some really great moves. Alonzo, um, Vettel, you know, you had a lot of, you know, big incidents that caused people to go backwards, but then if you had the skill to make the moves, man, you could, you could really work your way back through the field. Yeah, that's, a, that's exciting. I mean, that's, a, that's what, 
maybe old school, but boy, it makes for some great racing. That's what so. I, I, I want. I just want to see great racing again. And and that's what I'm I'm hoping for in the future with with as we move the fields closer and closer together that we'll we'll, we'll not just be talking about either Max and Leclerc or but you know four five six people battles for for where six people could come out winning instead of well as long as Max doesn't get held up or something happens he's going to win or Lewis you know is going to win or but well I think that I mean those are kind of predictable things, but you know, the midfield, there's some surprises in the race finish there in the midfield. Yeah. And so that's, and there was a lot of racing going on there. Yeah. 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 Let's, I mean, we can, we kind of, we can, we've kind of brushed over um, Sergio Perez and George Russell. I think, Perez mm-hmm. drove at Perez's level. I think he's just a really excellent number two driver, and I I don't see him really challenging that position over his next stint, you know, his next contract extension at Red Bull. Um, but I, I, I just don't see it happening. I'd like to see it happen. I want to see a couple more Perez wins. I really like Checo. Um, and, but... We haven't seen it this year, and, and you know it's it's not going to be a big title swing when you have a two time world champion Max Verstappen. Like I think he knows where he's going to be, and it's you know coming in consistent podiums and and occasional wins and very very even less occasional pole positions. But it's definitely better than being off out of the grid altogether. Or, well, you know, stuck, well, yeah, stuck winding out the rest of your career at Williams or AlphaTauri or, or something like that. Well, I just remember that year where Nico Rosberg, you know, always thought the number two and he won world championship. You yeah, know, that and was, then, and then retired pro- immediately afterwards because he, <laughs> you know, the, the level of that it takes to beat somebody like a Lewis Hamilton or a Max Verstappen or a Leclerc <laughs> is unsustainable. <laughs> like, and I think <laughs> Rosberg got, got lucky a l- quite a few times that season, if I'm not mistaken as well, but he does yeah. have that under his belt. The only person to beat, like, um, you know, he did beat Hamilton. One of the greatest. Yeah. He was a le- Yeah. I mean, he was, he was the number, he was the number two. And clearly he went what? from being the number one to definitely the number two rather quickly at Mercedes. Um, oh yeah, but uh, we have to we have to move on to to Lando Norris, um, who had a had an yeah. excellent race and by all uh, considerations, um, just showing his dominance in that team again, uh, with Ricardo finishing P sixteen and a, a good chunk of that race with with damage to the car as well. That's right. Was that an implant on the front wing? If it, I remember, it was the it. Well, it was. I don't know if it was the ever the whole, um, but it was the implant. But it was the the part that goes over the tire. Uh, I watched all. The, oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. Watched the onboards from that. That all happened with uh, Fernando, uh, Fernando and uh, Stroll incident. Um, but it right. a piece of debris flew and just took out that piece that goes over the over the tire. Right. 
And he even didn't yeah. have to call it. He's like, I don't know what the thing that goes over the tire is gone. <laughs> <laughs> what is that thing, thing? anyway? Uh, I don't know. I, I, all I know is it, that it's, it's to protect the wash of the tire, the turbulent air of the following car. I know that's what it, it, it directs the turbulent air further away. Um, but well, isn't that special? I think, I think, you know, <laughs> Norris did an excellent job avoiding that big collision and all of the debris that followed it, even though he got clonged, but man, that really highlighted, like, you know, we, we, I think we grow so accustomed to the, the safety of this, of this modern era of formula one. And we do need moments like that, that, <laughs> excuse me, that remind us that what if that would have hit you in the head, the helmet, you know? Like carbon fiber mm -hmm. is strong. <laughs> Formula One grade carbon fiber is strong. I think they are. It is designed to break at certain loads, but um, it took that off clean. You know. Oh yeah, I mean it's strong. It's strong in one di dimension. Yeah, type of thing is what the claim to fame is, I guess, and. Um, well, but that, when a thing like that, exceptionally light. Yeah, and then, but it's like when something like that breaks off, it's like a knife. Well, yeah, that's more, that was <laughs> or, the other thing that I was going to think is you know we think about that hitting on a flat angle, but if that hit on one of those pointy angles and was flying at him and just right in the chest, you know, <laughs> like those are still open cockpits. Oh yeah, yeah. But, or you get a puncture going a hundred or two hundred and ten miles an hour, you know, like that's bad bongos. Uh, I would, I would stand in agreement. Or what if? I mean, we're just going to have to talk about it. What if Fernando would have flipped? You know, like that was and landed right on the head, right on the top of the car again. I mean, or, yeah, that was that was. Yeah, that was really, I mean, I thought that baby was going to go over backwards. Yeah. How many times have we seen that in the past? But I guess the aerodynamics, you know, the ground effects probably saved him from that. For real. And then and then the fact that that car landed and then missed that, because there's a service road exit right there, and he could have had a whole Roman Grosjean incident where he luckily hit parallel where the road ends and it was the normal trackside barrier again but if he would have hit you know going that fast right at that at that exit that would have been a completely different crash altogether another that's a good point that's a great point you bring up that that the similarity the potential similarity to the Groshan incident um and the other remarkable yeah. remarkable thing was that that car continued from that like that, that oh, yeah. was next to vertical if you guys haven't seen it which i hope you have but he he stroll he was making an overtake going down one of the, the straights and he moved left and stroll moved left way too late and uh fernando's front right wheel made contact with stroll's rear left wheel and it launched him into the air. And then he did a wheelie for for what... It must have been several hundred meters because they were going 200 miles an hour. And Yeah, I would have just, been curious. Yeah. And just was wheeling down the track. And then, I mean, next to vertical. 
And those cars are 14 meters long. So we're talking about the front of that car had to be 10 meters in the air, at least. And then slams down. How did that suspension not break? How did how was it just a, a front wing change and there was some there had to be floor damage, but enough that that Fernando Alondo went all the way to the back of the grid and then finished seventh. <laughs> yeah, that was. I think I think to that so effect that we it. have our moment with Martin does a really good job of summing this summing up the experience. <laughs> so here's your moment. With I agree. Martin. Consider Fernando Alonso's afternoon. At one point, he nearly turned turned up on the radar at the international airport, didn't he? Just up the road, <laughs> went to the back, damaged car. He's now in P7, which is where he ended up finishing the race. Yeah, phenomenal. I mean, I don't. I still don't understand how the car didn't flip over backwards. I don't know, and I, I don't. I don't. Did he get driver of the day? No, Vettel did. I don't know how no, he doesn't get driver Vettel of the day. Vettel did. But, uh, but man, what a phenomenal drive by by Alonso. And of course, I didn't have him on my team that week. <clears throat> but the following week, I do. Mm. <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of fantastic drives, and like I said, winning driver of the day, we have to move on to. Um, Sebastian Vettel and Stroll would have been right there in the mix, um, I think, as well in the points, which is why I was saying what a what a turnaround day for that um, team. But Vettel similarly had had advantages because he went from leading the race at one point to going in for a really late spit, uh, pit stop, which dropped him really far back again, and then he he clawed his way back to P eight with a literal last corner pass on Kevin Magnuson for that P8. I think I, I saw Jensen Button say something that that was one of the best overtakes he's ever seen Sebastian do throughout his career. And his his overtake on Magnuson and his overtake on Sonoda were exceptional like they they were that was was so sweet and it was just like i mean everybody's off celebrating max's victory and here's vettel and magnuson going down to the line literally it was phenomenal i i that was maybe that's why i got driver of the day because that was yeah that was i mean that that moving up at the end of the race past yuki sonoda and and Kevin Magnuson, I mean, God, that was just very cool. And it was all in that really tight um, complex coming off of that back straight. And, yeah, and you just saw like you. It was like it, it was it was beautiful because it was coming from so far away, and you just saw the experience of Vettel. And and I watched all of the onboards, and Vettel is wrestling that Aston Martin. It is not a compliant car. It is not a good car, um, in 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 a in normal circumstances, let alone in a turbulent air situation following. And he just, it was phenomenal. It was so good. That yeah, enough said for and, sure. And and same same needs to be given. Dual credit also needs to be given to Magnuson, who has throughout his career been somebody who's crashy mag. And yeah, I, you know, it does, it takes an elite, it takes a, a superb level of skill to 
to to be passed in those in those situations as well. You you see oftentimes cars coming in contact when you're talking, you know, that level of racing, especially that close to the end of the race. You're knackered, you know, 56 lap race um, in Austin, Texas. I, I saw the interview with uh, after that before the Mexico Grand Prix with Lewis, like I cited before on one of the late night um, shows, and he said he lost seven pounds during the Austin Grand Prix. Like, <clears throat> physically demanding, and then you're still putting on a show right down to the wire like that. It just shows the ability. It shows the level of of, of what, a com- what competitors these guys are because, yeah, P8, P10, P9, you know, it's it's a cup, it's two points. That's what he was fighting for was two points. And it, you would have thought he was fighting for yeah. the world championship. I don't think... I think to genuinely be a racing driver, you have to every position, every lap, every every turn is the same. It's just the stakes change, you know. But yeah, and I'm glad for it because man, that was phenomenal. That was just that was you know that's what I'm talking about. That midfield competitiveness. That was the race. That was the part to watch. Well, but I I think we had we had brilliant battles with the Claire and Max coming back up too. Where Oh yeah, that was good. That was good. I'm not saying it wasn't. I would I would argue and Man. say that this is one of the best Grand Prix we've seen this year, count, not counting some of those earlier um the 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 first couple races. Those were pretty good too. But all in out with like my hopes and my dreams. <coughs> Excuse me. Um uh, this stands out as, as being one of the, the better Grand Prix of the season so far. Yeah. Well, irrespective, this is a great, this has been a great season of really outstanding races. And, um, little too hopefully next year will even be better. I want well, to, th- I'm also had talk- such the makings of being a, a truly great season. And then I think once, you know, the spin at France from Leclerc, it, it really, kind of lost some stuff, but there's still been, you know, we had, I think it's been a, a really good season, but not so much because of the racing. Um, there has been moments of it, and I think the cars are better than we were anticipating and stuff, but I think the things that's honestly saved the season as a whole has been what we were just talking about, some of the midfield battles and and the closeness of the midfield. Like, I'm, one of the main reasons I'm still tuning in is to see if Hamilton can can stop, you know, or continue his record. Alpine, the battle for fourth Alpine, the battle for second now between Ferrari and Mercedes. But I mean, this has been a 2020 level era of dominance for um, Red Bull. I think it's also the, if, if they can hold off um, Leclerc, it will be the first time ever that Red Bull has, has had a one, two driver's championship and the constructors. Um, but they're like something like 400 points ahead in the constructors too. Like it's insane how far ahead they are. No, yeah, it's insane for sure. Oh, the other, the other thing we, we have to talk about, um, we need to, we're running long already, but we still have to talk about Mexico and cost cap stuff. Um, yeah, let's go. Is, is Dietrich, what was his, his last name? Oh yeah. But, um, the, he was the the owner of Red Bull. Um, he did pass away uh, just before this race, um, and it's a it's a really sad 
um, moment for the sport of F1 and a lot of the sporting world too. Um, I, I'm never, I've never really been a Red Bull fan, but it's undeniable their, their influence on the sport. And I mean, I can't, I cannot recount all of the cool snowboard, bicycle, even crazy F1 stunts that have been done with Red Bull cars and, and under the Red Bull with Red Bull money. Um, you know, he and he was, I guess, just a really neat guy, um, really unassuming of his wealth and his status and just just was a huge fan of motorsport and, and Formula One. And so. I'm, well, he also like, Disney wasn't he big into soccer and oh, so, I mean, such I mean, as that. And has financed so many, you know, sporting things. Well, and then he also is, had an eye for developing athletes. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, not Vettel, just yeah. Uh, Max Schumacher, well, Mick. Um, well, no, yeah, yeah. Daniel well, Ricardo, just the other, um, right. So it, it, it's a lot of a lot of drivers, a lot of cool. You know, I think uh, Adrian Newey and all of the stuff that Adrian Newey's been able to to bring to the sport because of working for Red Bull. I think he would have worked, you know, with other teams, but. It, he he left a, a really big mark on the sport, and it's a it's a it, it deserved being mentioned to um, right condolences yeah. to his family. That's a and, that's a good yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's Thank good on you for, for bringing that up. Um, and it's it's a bummer that he didn't get to see them clinch the constructors' title, but um, yeah, he knew it was happening. I think it's yeah, uh, an inevitable thing. His, they called him DD. Yeah. Dietrich, I think, was yeah. his first name, and they called him Didi. So, yeah, he was but, universally uh, uh, appreciated for sure. So, and then, yeah, Yuki Sonoda came in P10 to round off the final points position um, for the U.S. Grand Prix. And then, you know, that means Esteban Joe, Alexander Alban, Gasly finished 14th, Mick in 15th, Daniel back in 16th, and Latifi in 17th after his spins and just being himself. Uh, <clears throat> but it was all in all, like we said, a really fantastic race. And then we went to one of my absolute favorite race tracks and has resulted in many um, fantastic race wins and races, but this this race just never seemed to really materialize um, into the potential that I thought was there. I remember, yeah, uh, I was texting you and I was texting Maddie O'Patty, and like there was some, you know, some really exciting um, setups um, in qualifying. The qualifying session was more exciting than the race. I feel like, um, and I and it and it just it just never seemed to develop. You know, but there was there was enough to keep me watching and keep me from falling asleep, <laughs> but it never turned into the any sort of like real nail biter or, um, you know, it, it never really materialized. I felt like there was something. Yeah, it was like was a, you were like on the verge. Came. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was like just on the verge of something cool happening, and then it just the dominance up front just kind of. You know, just kind of played it out like usual. But it I, played out like usual. But the qualifying I wanted to highlight again, besides Max's just blistering one seventeen seven seven five lap that 
his pole position lap that got him that pole position, um, it was within a second between P8 or P2 to P9. Within one second. That's how tight of a margin. Like, it, it, it's really, like, I, I, I have to catch myself every now and then when I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, we talk about Ricardo missing out on P, you know, and, and him being off the pace, but he was too tense, you know? It's, it's and like, and we're talking about P2 and P3, like, Russell beat out Hamilton by one one-hundredth of a second or less than. Um, yeah. And just how utterly close that qualifying was. Um, but what happened on that opening lap, Dad? Start with Maxi. Well, I think, you know, the, the because it's such a long um, straight from the start to the first corner, it was, I think it's, isn't it the thing is, is that you are, you're on pole, but you're likely not to be P1 at the yeah, first turn. It was the last, because last two uh, races were won from, from not pole. So Max was actually concerned. Yeah. And, and that, I think that added to that hope is that not only was like, it, it, it's not a, it's not like a Monaco or a Singapore or a lot of the racetracks that we just came from where pole is, is so important. Um, but it was, it was two Mercedes behind one Red Bull. Um, and it was, when was the last time we had, you know, Red Bull, Mercedes, Mercedes after a qualifying? Um, and then knowing... Well, this year. Yeah, well, this year. That's no. What, yeah. And then, but I was unfortunate that once I saw Max get through that first turn, I was like, uh-oh. Um, because then the infighting at Mercedes took over. Um, Russell fell. Um, and, and Hamilton just hung on, but well, you have to just, you you have to just also point out that that probably was a perfect start for Verstappen, you know? Um, he is, I mean, (laughs) I mean, so good. And, um, I mean, that was it. That was it right there. Yeah. And, um, and then there's the, um, you know, the strategy of tire. I mean, he started on a on a soft tire, so he could hook up really good and um, and all of that. And uh, although it would seem that what? No, keep going. Sorry. It would seem you know starting soft, uh, and then kind of. Everybody was assuming that probably would be uh, a two-stop for both Red Bulls because both Red Bulls started on the soft tire, and uh, so they hooked up well. And uh, George got a little wide and opened the door for Perez um, to uh, sneak in there in, in P3, and um, but. I, you can say Mercedes was probably thinking well, that's okay because according to the data that Pirelli supplied that the medium to hard strategy that both 
Mercedes were on, it'd be clearly a one-stop race for them. And although those compounds are slower, that with one less stop, that it would be close. And given the performance that... Keep going. Go ahead. No, I think that, yeah, tire strategy really caught a lot of people off. And I think one of the the accounts for that that we didn't that didn't enter into my thinking was the actual elevation of the racetrack in Mexico City itself and how that can play into such tricky uh track temperatures um the elevation of Mexico City is 7349 feet so it's it's almost you know 2000 feet higher in elevation than Denver and you know people come here and get altitude sickness I can't imagine what it's like, you know, trying to get these literal rocket ships for the road to perform in such a swing in elevation. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really love the track so much is that it does really, it's one of those engineering, like engineering tracks, you know, that we talk about how, you know, these cars are engineered for certain racetracks, you know, the amount of full throttle that they experience at Monza, how tight of a turn to get around the hairpin at, at Monaco, I think, you know, this has definitely got to be entered into the into the 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 thought process of of what are they gonna do at that elevation. Um, but that was one of the things that they talked about at the race was that they really didn't know that like it's it's so easy for us here, you know, Monday quarterbacking the strategy for, for Mercedes and um and how why they didn't go to the soft or why they what why they didn't whatever but you know it's 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 a really moving target that is super hard and super complex <laughs> complex to figure out and they they really thought that the I, they really didn't think the soft would a go as long as it did or the medium and then there was a moment where they thought the fat the the um the hard was going to be the tire and for a moment, I I thought they were right because Lewis came out and he was he was lapping on comparable times on his hard to Max's Mercedes, and I was like, yes, this is it. But my mm-hmm. one my one question is is why didn't either of them split the strategy? I think with it being the best opportunity that Mercedes has had all season, I don't know why they didn't listen to George. Because George was screaming for the soft tire, or start one of them. Well, I don't know why they never started George on the soft. Him being in P two, if they knew how dominant that Red Bull is and how important track position was, why didn't you give George the best opportunity to to make some some inroads? Like, I, I don't I don't I don't understand why they didn't react differently once they saw that their initial data and the and that. I mean, they're still waiting for that medium tire to fall off. <laughs> right. I, that's true. I mean, and really, this there is no racetrack run at this kind of elevation. The and based on the density of the air, how is it? How are the how is the new ground effects going to really work? Uh, is it going to throw up more turbulence? Uh, than at a lower altitude track because of their density. These were a lot of unknowns. And um, and I think Mercedes was really putting all their eggs in the, in the basket of what Pirelli was saying, oh, if you start soft, you have to have, there's no way you're going to make 
make it without two stop. And the only thing is, is that Verstappen and to a lesser degree, uh, Perez just, I mean, they just manage their tires so well. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's what the, I was listening to the Peter Windsor yeah. recap of the race and shout out to Peter Windsor. He, the guy just looks at this stuff. So it's, and that's, um, he said that it kind of came down to the fact that with the equipment that Red Bull has and the drivers they have, they were able to take care of their tires better than anybody else and uh, made what Pirelli thought was going to be a two-stop based on their strategy. Even in fact, it was a one-stop, just like what Mercedes was doing, totally lost the advantage. And so it's like, well, we screwed that one. But what I don't understand is why didn't they see that they made the error and then do something about it, especially when you saw the likes of Ricardo who did make the medium to soft strategy work and came out and was lapping three seconds a lap faster. Like, so at lap 65, when they realized that it wasn't going to happen, bring one of them in. Bring George in. Put him on well, the they brought him in on the left <laughs> with two laps left. They brought him in. I mean, they had yeah, they yeah, had a free is. they had a free pit stop to Sainz for damn near the last quarter of that race or third of that race. Right, that was mind blowing. Why? I mean, they must have gone taken a page out of the Ferrari strategy book for 2022 because I mean, that was gonna, just boneheaded if you know you're going to come in and try and go in for the fastest lap anyways start it early and see if you can do something unless they didn't want him yeah. you know coming up on lewis but i mean you gotta you gotta look at the team you gotta look at the result at that point tell lewis to get out of the way i mean if he would have been if he would have been in, in the situation he would do it the same way anyways uh, I just, I just, right. that's, that, that's my own, I get, I get the difficulty of the strategies and the, and the ability to call that, but I feel like Mercedes lacked a bit of, of imagination and risk taking to then go, well, this isn't working. So let's try something else. You know, like I, they used to, they, they, where, where was that Mercedes that they used to do that, make those, those calls that for the late last lap dives, you know, and I, I just, I just, I guess I just, maybe it was the fact that I felt like that was coming the whole time and then it never materialized, but it, I, I also am just left questioning it now that if you have two drivers, both in good positions, why not split the strategy and, and try and force something to happen, you know? Yeah. And, uh, the, uh, I mean, it should have been Lewis who went to soft. Yeah, should have been Lewis because that was his chance. I just don't. I don't think he's. I, I think when you're running in in P two, and I, I just think that that wasn't it wasn't going to come from Lewis. I don't think. I think he wanted to be conservative and get the points. I think they're maybe that's the other play is that they they re, they do see the potential to pass Ferrari in the drivers championship and and or in a constructors championship. Forgive me, but. And that's the the goal because what a what a motivator that would be for the team. Although it it does also mean a reduction in your wind tunnel and CFD testing to come in second. But I think 
I think you're you gotta go for the competitive thing, and if you have a chance to to be so far on the back foot to then come in P two in the constructors title, uh, I think you're gonna they're gonna take that every time. But I just right. wish I would have seen a little would, bit more of a risk. I guess I don't know. Well, I think they. It seems like they just played the data from Pirelli and didn't look at what was happening in the race. They didn't look at how well the the softs were holding up yeah. for Red Bull. Which and I think I mean Max Now I don't know what Max made the soft last long, but he was in clean air, one. But he did have right. full fuel load on. That's right too. And he made it go twenty. So you would think laps. that Right. And so Lewis started and Lewis and um, Russell starting on the medium tire, how long that that had to go longer or I, I don't think know, it I, went I, five I really laps is all it did all they but I think they did that just they ended up pitting earlier to cover off Max's stop. They were afraid of the right. undercut. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. But they go. They because still went they to the hard. It would be much easier to defend from the front than to try and overtake because it goes back to what we saw in Austin and the fact that Mexico has the longest, not the longest, but one of the longest. I think uh, Azerbaijan has the longest straight. Um, but Mexico's is, is, is up there as one of the longest. Um, and with, with a, I think they... Without DRS, at at Mexico, they had a four kph advantage just on raw pace. So that means even with Mercedes with DRS, that would only account for a one, maybe two kph advantage on that straight. So they did. They desperately didn't want to lose the the track position to Red Bull at Mexico, but. I think if you had enough of a tire offset with the pace coming in for a late soft stop, like we saw with Ricardo again, three seconds a lap is three seconds a lap. It doesn't matter how, how underpowered your car is. If you can drive out the corner so much better, you're going to pass him. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Lewis was behind by 15 seconds, but when you talk about three seconds faster a lap, well, and right. let's 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 admit that I mean let's come to agree that Mercedes was their car was working good. Well, and and uh, I, better I think, than better than what Ricardo had probably. <laughs> I think that the fifteen seconds may have been a little bit inflated at a certain point. You know, you have to think of the stress on the engine being at that altitude. That once they saw that the pace wasn't there, um, they probably he probably dialed it back a little bit. Um, well, yeah, but that's because, because they they didn't have an imagination, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of dialing, they didn't consider. Speaking of dialing the engines back, um, that that was uh, became I I learned from the race uh, listening to the races podcast about the Mexico Grand Prix is that Ferrari did have the engines turned down because <clears throat> excuse me they were afraid of. Um, of uh, a catastrophic failure to the turbos. Um, I guess the Ferrari <clears throat> uses a smaller turbo than other other teams, and that was the failure that led to Sainz's 
in Fuego incident in Austria was the turbo letting go because at a, a high elevation, which Austria is pretty high, but nowhere near as high as Mexico, the turbo has to spin at such a fat, like a much faster rate. A small turbo can, can output the same amount of boost as a bigger turbo. It just has to spin faster. And then when you go into uh, the, the less dense air, it has to f- spin even faster. And so the Ferraris were at a, at a detuned state. And I do think that uh, Brundle talked about, he, he, he questioned that at certain parts of the race as well because they just, you know, they're definitely not the fifth and sixth fastest car. Right. Um, I mean, you lose, you know, you lose your your air pressure. And what do turbos do? They increase your air pressure. Yeah. Well, to turn down the wastegate relief, that's putting more stress on the turbo too. Not only, I don't know if it's spinning that much faster, but it's spinning at a higher pressure. And that's hard on the system. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was one of those races probably that was, you know, we'll just count, count ourselves out on this one because we think, don't want to blow the thing up. Yeah. They must have known that. But then if, if they did that, then I guess that the, you know, um, Leclerc's penalties that they took at Austin, I don't, I guess they must have not been able to, to reserve it to, uh, to taking it at, at Mexico. But if you knew you were going to be at a detuned state anyways, why wouldn't you have just taken it there and been more competitive at a track that's easier to overtake on? Um, I don't know. Hindsight. Uh, oh, we, I can't believe we, we glossed over Perez at his home race. And um, what a cool thing that was. Oh yeah. Him yet, yet again, being a podium one step lower than last year, but, um, Really cool to see, you know, the Mexican fans. I saw so many cool, cool things from that weekend. Very, very akin to to some of the the stuff that I saw, um, you know, in 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 Suzuka. But I, I saw a guy with it. He had made a replica F one car for his dog trailer. He was pulling a trailer with his dog in it from behind on a bicycle, no. which was super cool. But are you was, kidding? Yeah, no. I'll send it to you when we get off. Um, <laughs> and he, it was he was sitting in so his dog was driving an f1 car which was being pulled by a bicycle it was it was cool the only thing that was a bummer was it was a red bull but i mean that's to be understood it was probably checo and not max so it's cool uh, <clears throat> but uh a podium finish the other thing i love about when when checo does well and it's a mexican grand prix is checo's dad is there and his dad just looks like uh-huh. the funnest guy <laughs> He is he's just this big Mexican guy. He's just so happy. He loves his son so much. I just yeah. It's it's you just see the joy on his face um, for 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 that experience. And it, it was there was one part where they were trying to he was literally trying to get to the podium, the post race interview, and he's his dad's trying to give him a hug or a kiss or something, and he's like, "Dad, leave me alone!" <laughs> like he like has to like shake his dad off, uh, but. He's just a. It's just such a such a cool thing to see. And yeah, that's a great the the human interest part of of uh, Sergio uh, being finishing on a podium and at his home race like that. It's just and the people feel the same way. I mean, it's a oh, it's just insane. You could hear a, it every time he went on the. Track. Oh yeah, came through that that stadium complex. Every single person was on their feet screaming for that guy. 
Oh yeah, that that's got to be exciting. It just has to so. make a difference. It has to. Um, but speaking of Sergio, I guess there was some errors with some of his display settings during qualifying, which showed um, which which could account for some of his his lack of pace in qualifying. He was unable to see his brake biases um, on on his final qualifying stint. So I think that 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 made some setup changes really difficult to gauge and could have definitely could have accounted for the lack of pace to Max yeah. or to, to the you know, Mercedes at least. You know, another, another thing that um, regarding uh, Perez is that uh, uh, from, uh, I guess there was an interview post race and from that interview um, he just said it when he got close to Lewis, he just didn't have it. It's yeah. like there was some kind of turbulence. He didn't have enough downforce on the front wing to, to make the turns. So every time he got close enough to Lewis, he would lose it. He would lose front grip. And yeah, uh, I'd never, you heard, know, I never heard what the Delta, the, the, the pace advantage Delta needed to be for a, for an overtake there. Um, but I know it had to, I mean, it had to be pretty significant is what I'm guessing then based on that. So um, that was kind of a, so something about why, you know, in this year of the ground effects allowing for cars to follow more closely, why was it so turbulent behind Lewis? Must have just been elevation. uh, Elevation is the only thing. Well, that was one thing that uh, Windsor mentioned was it was at the altitude that changed how air moved. Um, but there was some, uh, the, the, the air funk coming off of the Mercedes just wouldn't allow, uh, Perez to take advantage uh, of his slipstream and his, uh, DRS. Maybe it was the zero side pod design. It only works (laughs) to create (laughs) this, this massive wind blocker at high elevation. They just didn't know how it was all for Mexico. They thought the race was going to come down. The world title was going to come down to Mexico. And yeah, well, well, there was something that happened in Mexico that was record breaking was, um, yeah, we didn't say that max, max, uh, got his 14th victory. The previous record was held by Michael Schumacher and, I think Sebastian Vettel at yeah, 13. Duly held by Vettel and Schumacher. Yeah. Now they're chasing the so. race win percentage. Max is very, he's pretty quick. I think he was leading up to it very quick to say, oh, it's just a stat. I don't really pay attention to that kind of thing. And then his reaction after he did it was much different. <laughs> but I think that puts him, <laughs> because Schumacher did, 13 wins in an 18 win season or something like, or it was, Oh, that's right. And Vettel did it in a, a, a 19 or 20 season. I saw the statistic on Instagram. I'll try and find it and maybe link it to the episode for this. I didn't even think about that, but that's true. But technically Schumacher is a 72% win record. Um, and this makes Max a seventy percent um, win record, 
for the season. So if he, but he still has two opportunities to really cement that. Um, and at the form he's at, I don't see him faltering. Um, I, I would agree. So I, I think it's, yeah. Um, and it's a it's a great year for that kind of thing. Really, I mean, an incredible year. Um, there's we need to we need to hurry it up here, but there was a couple things that we definitely need to touch on. Is a we talked about this briefly, but uh, Daniel Ricardo showing up. I mean, I don't know where he's been, but after he booted Sonoda out of the way, he just flew like a <laughs> rocket ship, uh, and. and and it brings us to a point I wanted to spend a little bit more time on, but we're, we're just running long here, but hopefully you guys will be bearing with us, um, is what's the point of a 10-second penalty if you can just drive out, drive your 10-second penalty? Um, yeah. Both him and Gasly were given time penalties for, for incidences that ended up being irrelevant. So... Yeah. And so it makes you one. It makes you question what happened to the uh, the drive-through penalty aspect, where it's an immediate consequence to your mistake. Yeah, I, um, we we saw this. I saw. I, I forget when it happened in Mexico or in in um, a very similar situation happened in U.S. where, but it was only a five-second yeah. penalty. Oh, it was Russell. Right. Russell got a five-second penalty right. for spinning signs. Yeah, and maybe it was because it was an a one a, a opening lap turn one incident that it was given a lesser degree of a penalty. But I just don't. I don't think that these penalties. I'm glad that they're policing things more. I think Martin Brundle talked about this during the race as well with track limits and everything. But but the penalty has to be more severe. I think if you really want it to be to be meaningful because in both instances it costs the other the 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 driver who is being you know offended by the penalty to be knocked out of the grand prix and yeah. then it ended up not affecting the other driver in one little bit at all right because so then russell why do you even have the penalty got russell pushed and got a six second lead over the the next uh well, no, he just whoever was it, behind he, him. He just served it in the in the in his pit stop, but it still didn't it still didn't hinder his race. Oh, I thought that, I I thought that did he do that? No. Okay, I was I just thought he the pushed. The only and reason got, that that didn't happen to Hamilton is Hamilton wasn't going to pit for the rest of the race, so he just had to to beat or Ricardo. Oh yeah, yeah. Wasn't yeah. going to pit, so you only have to serve your your only your penalty gets served if you pit. Or then it gets repl- uh, uh, applied to your retroactive, your react- retroactively to the time you finish the race. Yeah, but, there you go. I mean, it was a really, it was cool to see Daniel actually capitalize on the tire offset. But I don't think you know everybody's like, oh, drive, driver of the day, and 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 what an excellent. But I mean, he pushed a guy off. His teammate let him go. And then he was able to do what he needed to get done. And I just, I mean, I was excited to see it happening because it was the most exciting thing happening in that race. But I'm not on the, I'm not on the, the bandwagon that all of a sudden it's, 
a different guy. And yeah, and if it is too little, too late, my friend. Maybe you should have been punching this, this people the off truth. a year and a half ago. <laughs> the punter. Um, then we also have to talk about Fernando Alonso's abysmal luck again. It's always called yeah. 14. Um, because he was running well into the points again. Um, uh, I think he was P6. And then I heard, I found out from what, from listening to the race that he was down a cylinder for like 30 laps. Um, and so he was running with a wounded car and then it finally just let go and, and that's when he, he DNF'd to mechanical failure. But I wonder if, <laughs> is that the same engine from his slam down takeoff at, at Austin and that, and that this was the, the, we finally saw the results of that. I would have to think that they completely rebuilt that thing from race to race, but definitely a bummer. Yeah. For, um, well, no, he could. Yeah. He, from, you mean talk race. about rebuilding the engine? Yeah. No. Well, you can't do that. Can you? Yeah. Why couldn't you? Without taking grid penalty? You only get a grid penalty if you take a, a new component. New. New engine. But if you, I think they yeah. tear down and rebuild those every race. I don't know. That would be curious. Because why would they? Because if they rebuild them, why are they concerned about you know having a, a, a an engine with a, dry, a power unit with so much mile, so many miles on it I that it's not able to, to keep up? We got to move on. Yeah, let's talk about the other thing. <laughs> but uh, the the. The thing I wanted to say was the misfortune of Alpine and their reliability is really could potentially come and cost them in the constructors race because it is currently 146 points at McLaren to 153 points. So that's just a seven point difference between Alpine and McLaren. And majority of that is coming down to the unreliability of that of that. Renault engine, Alpine engine. Or are they yeah, not? Yeah, that's the truth. They are. They have to be. Okay, so that's something to definitely look for um, and keep an eye on. That's something I've been watching is who will who will take that P four in the in the constructors, and then it's a four forty seven to four eighty seven for Ferrari. So they have forty point deficit um, to. To overcome, which seems kind of unlikely with just two races left, but you know, never, for, never underestimate Ferrari's ability to throw something away. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really. It would be very. It would be the ultimate cap to this season for them if they came in third in the in the constructors because of something, but it also could be just because of. Um, um, crash or reliability we don't know you know brazil definitely has has the ability to be wet so mr squeaky over there the other thing i wanted to say is as mclaren did look quick in that race and um aston martin looked absolutely abysmal um in that race so with all the pace that they seem to find at the united states 
uh, Grand Prix, they lost for the Mexico Grand Prix. I must. I wonder if it was uh, elevation related performance things as well. Uh, I think they are. Isn't Aston Martin? No, they're still Mercedes. I was gonna say I thought they were. They may have been a Ferrari customer team, but um, the engine definitely didn't seem to hinder um, AlphaTauri because Botas looked well back on form um, at this race, but then struggled at the start and had to had to claw his way back. But definitely um, uh, did better than Joe, which he has been not doing in the run of races here. Um, but it was definitely good to see my boy Bowie back at form. Uh, so. In the point, in the pointos, in the pointos. Boy, we are running here. We just—it's just so much fun talking to you. But we gotta fill the yeah, people man. in about the cost cap news. The verdict was in. We finally get to see exactly how well, somewhat exactly how much Red Bull overspent. There is a debate. I think the final number was 400 and something thousand euros or pounds, or we're just going to say dollars. I don't know if if these are actual dollars or pounds, but we're just going to say dollars. You guys can look it up if you really want to know. But the total overspend was something like 1.8 million, and then there were some sort of credits, tax credits that got to be applied. So there's, we're going to say they definitely overspent by 1.8. That's what I say because F them. And I don't like Red Bull, and they cheated, and whatever. That resulted in a $7 million fine and 10% reduction in wind tunnel and CFD time moving forward, immediately moving forward from that day for one year. So that does include the rest of this season and next season up to whatever, October, whatever the date that that was. 28th or something like that <clears throat> so um that what do you think that what do you think of that dad is that is that strict enough is that is that just like what 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 do you think i don't know i mean seven million bucks sounds like a lot of dough um it seems that's a good penalty for overspending you know a million but I also need it's to not worth. Is it worth it? That does not come out of their budget for next year. It's just a fine that they need to pay within thirty days. I think it would have been much more impactful if it would have come out of their budget. But I don't. I mean, seven million dollars to, well, to Red Bull is is nothing. Well, seven million dollars for cheating or overspending by 1 million purposely. Yeah, but I'm just, that, it's just, like, that, it's just not enough. That's whatever. Yeah, I, I, I guess I mean, so. They used to I, spend 300 million on the previous season, you know? Right. So they, and now we're down to money. like 150, 140. Yeah. Well, they, this was the year that they had some kind of special, adjustment for yeah. inflation or something so, but irrespective you know they cut the cost is half what they usually do um i really think it should have come out of their budget too 100 percent. that and um the reduction in uh wind tunnel time i mean it appears that they 
they're going to go on and women constructors. And so their wind tunnel time is limited for winning the championship anyway. Yeah. But so 10% reduction on and that's a top of that is yeah. that you but you you I think I, maybe, I may have interrupted you I'm sorry but it it is a 10% reduction in their allowance of CFD time moving forward. So it's not right. they don't get 10% off they get 10% of the 70 percent that they were going to be entitled to so what we figured it out it would be 63 percent yeah would be the reduction would be 37 percent as opposed to just 30 the 30 actually comes out to being seven percent of their the total amount of of time that they're going to get for which is significant i mean it will it will that that part i'm i'm very happy that there's actually some penalty to red bull that will cost them time for the remainder of this year and for the year for the next year and then majority majority of next yeah and then majority of next year and then whenever the knock-on effects into the 2024 of just not being able to have that much development time that they would have had. You know, the, I, you know, it's all fine and good. I think the money was too little to fine. I'm, I think the wind tunnel time is okay, but it would have been nice, but would have been the nice thing is that if there was a real time uh, penalty that the, for that moment, um, um, of uh, you know, of that year, that where the penalty perhaps made a difference in the outcome of the championship. Yeah, that's the part. How can how can you? Yeah, that's fine and dandy, but that's after the fact. Um, and if it how how can you make it happen in real time? Because I think maybe we're looking at Lewis maybe having won his eighth world championship. Yeah. If if it would have been dealt with in real time. I mean, that's um, the other. I mean, yeah. The other thing that we have to, that I think that is kind of impactful and that we that we do need to discuss is that this this is undisputable by Red Bull. They had this. Um, ABA clause or accepted breach agreement part of the regulations where it's basically what that basically means is they agree that they cheated which I think is significant and it's basically a plea bargain with the FIA that they could have turned it down stuck to their guns and said we didn't overspend would have gone into another level of 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 investigation and and I think even into like criminal courts. Um, but if they would have done that, it would have opened them up to stifter or, or more severe penalties. The being the deduction in, in constructors and drivers points, um, budget um, limitations, which I guess were off the table for an ADA. Um, a, this, uh, sorry, the except ABA 
the accepted breach agreement. And so the, the thing that some of the guy the guys on the race were pointing out is that that is a significant thing in itself and it was to deter this from being drug out any longer than the already absurd like you pointed out absurd amount of time that it's taken them to to come out with this. And hopefully that will get faster and shorter in the future, but but they do well, have to they basically agreed that they are the only team that cheated. They're the only team that overspent. Right. And, in, and if you read the regulations like any other sporting regulation for the sport, they cheated. And I think well, that, and that's that, another unfortunate blight to that, or, you know, unfortunate asterisk to that season that didn't need it anymore um, asterisk next to it, especially for Max. Um but they definitely cheated, and I think that's that's going to have a knock-on lingering effect into this era of Red Bull dominance that they're supposedly ushering in. Is okay, that's great. Well, but you you did it by cheating, yeah. <laughs> right? And the bummer of it is, is that okay? Yeah, they admitted to cheating, probably just to. To make it go away, pay the fine. Well, or to get a lesser no, penalty, they, which they knew was coming. Knew, yeah, probably. But it hasn't. It For two years, it had no bearing. For two seasons, not two years. Yeah. But on two seasons of racing, it still had no bearing. Red Bull's still going to be the constructor champion. And one or both Red Bull drivers are going to be one, two in the driver's championship. Yeah. And that it's not immediate enough to affect the outcome of when the deed, the bad deed was done. Do you, do you think, do you think that it was enough of a penalty though, that we won't see, uh, you know, Ferrari or Mercedes or somebody going, well, they got away with it. Let's get away with it too. Or challenging the regulations more, more sternly. Well, time, time. I don't know. Time will tell. But I mean, it's kind of like it's a pretty cutthroat industry. And is there honor amongst thieves? I guess. I don't know. I mean, Red Bull. I mean, no honor at Horner. Well. Well, and maybe, and maybe, maybe the just the cheating aspect of it will play back to Red Bull that it wasn't worth it. I hope so. I mean, I know it. I mean, it's it's. Put, I'm gonna through my platform, our platform here in the podcast. I will continually bring up the fact that they cheated. They cheated. Yeah. They won, but they and, cheated. <laughs> that's right, and it it the the consequence of their cheating had didn't change one bit of the last two Formula One seasons. So, Whether it'll change what happens next year, we'll see. I mean, if they still dominate next year, then I think it's safe to say it wasn't enough because they really should. Be taken a, I think that, a, that a will step draw, back. That will definitely draw attention next year if they're just as fast um, with a 63% wind tunnel time. Yeah. Um, 
The other thing we did want to report on is that Williams and Naston Martin both got procedural breaches and fines for those procedural breaches as well. Williams was literally that they did not submit their files on time and they knew they weren't going to and they alerted the FIA that they weren't going to and I think because of all of that, their fine was just $25,000. Um, and so, you know, which is sensibly, I mean, it's also Williams, but I mean, Williams does have money. It's not like they're a broke team. Um, but $25,000 you know, to a Formula One team is lunch. Um, so, and then Aston Martin had 12 of these procedural breaches, which is basically, from my understanding, is misallocating uh, um, the funds, like saying you spent it on things, and it was just basically mismarked. And they had 12 anywhere from uh, new team headquarters that are being built to research and development tax credits, cost of a new simulator, um, bonuses for signing people, <clears throat> showing more of that why Alonzo may have jumped ship. Um, and the one that I thought was really funny, cost of desks and chairs. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's hysterical. But they they were given a $450,000 $450, fine for those 12 um, protocol breaches. But I do want to be... There is a there is a distinct difference between a protocol breach and overspending. They, you know, they they didn't do paperwork correctly, basically, and Red Bull cheated. <laughs> okay, yeah, clerical error, cheated, cheaters too cheated, and they're cheating, and they're cheaters. Um. <laughs> um so that's all well and good but um the other the other thing that I wanted to bring up was the Max's boycott of Sky Sports showing his his pettiness again where in an after show Crofty said something to the effect that you know Lewis was robbed of um the the world title at uh, the final race in 2021 which he was like everybody knows it, um, and Max didn't like that slandering comment, and you know, is now boycotting. Oh, you mean, you mean the truthful statement? Yeah, it's crazy. He's he's saying it's you know it's uncalled for, and and so now he's mm. he's he will not be participating in any Sky Sports interviews, um, and maybe Sky Germany, and like he's there's no he has not yet said the amount of time that he will be doing this for but he did not do any interviews with sky sports um at the mexico grand prix this happened between the u.s and mexico grand prix which i think is just mm. ridiculous like you should you should have enough hindsight to see that you were given that race a you didn't earn that um you were going to lose that race without that intervention and that's the only reason that you won um so i would have just glossed over that because it only brings it up into the minds of people like me who already are pissed that you got that and is, are undeserving of that. Um, even though you were deserving of the title and you are a fantastic driver, it makes these are the things that you do that make me not like you. <laughs> it's just like... Well, yeah. Um, and you're part of a cheating team, therefore you're yeah. 
an accessory to it. Yeah. Boom. Red Bull sucks. Just kidding. <laughs> the best car how about, sucks. How about, how about, how about, I am not going to drive for Red Bull anymore because they cheated. Yeah, that's. And they're breaching my contract. Well. I mean, that would, I mean, yeah, but where would you go? You can, no, nobody's going to do that. I would. Where would, where would Max Verstappen go? Everybody's under Max contract. Max Verstappen would, Max Verstappen would go wherever he wanted to go. He's not, he wants to be at Red Bull. That team worships him. It's completely well, catered. Everything at Red Bull is completely catered to Max. Now. So what I, what I'm saying is, is that sometimes you got to make decisions that, he could definitely don't benefit you about it. other than other than you're okay with the guy in the mirror. Yeah. And that's that's more than anything, man. Yeah. So let us know on Instagram in the comments what you think. Was the cost cap penalty enough? What would you have liked to have seen instead? Uh, also, don't forget to like and subscribe to whatever platform you're on. It really does help. It also just helps me see how many of you are like are actually listening, which to my extent, the fact that there's more than one is mind blowing. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Especially with the baggage you got to lug around with me. Oh, whatever. It's such baby. a blast hanging out with you back in Formula One. <laughs> um, thank you all so much for listening. I know we went long on this episode. We did have a lot to discuss. I didn't think it'd be this long, but if you're still listening to it, Thanks so much, and uh, we wouldn't do this without you, or maybe we would. I don't know. Uh, but having you, knowing that there is at least some people listening is a huge perk to me doing it, even though I would probably do it anyways to get to hang out with you and all the other cool people I've gotten to hang out with this podcast. Um, but, yeah, much appreciated. That's all I'm trying to say. And yeah, and then, you know, we were we were looking at some of the countries of where people um, – we're listening to the podcast for a bit. I was trying to think of some, what are the obscure places that we could give a shout out to? I can't remember. I know that I know the Ukraine we was quite a few Dutch listeners, which surprised me because we really don't like, yeah, it, but thank you for the, whatever small rebel Alliance in, in uh, the Netherlands that knows the truth. Rebel Alliance. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, thanks uh, to whoever's listening, wherever you're listening to, wherever you're listening, it's awesome. We really appreciate it, um, and we'll uh, see you on the next episode after we have the Brazilian Grand Prix. Off to Brazil later. Hasta la pasta. <laughs> <laughs>